0: For the 430 movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete, uncensored, ass kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yael Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind the scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex.
1: Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. This is part two of our conversation about the long, long, troubled history of unmade Halloween movies, in which we are joined by the author Dustin McNeil, who wrote the great book on unmade Halloween movies, Taking Shape Two. We are going to pick things up right where we left off in part one.
3: Here's something I found online. I don't know if it was brought up in your book, but there's nothing else on it. I just saw it just get announced, but it was like a Halloween anime. Did you ever hear of that by any chance? And it was interesting enough, it was the same production company that made Perfect Blue, which is now on Shudder, and people are finally getting to see it, which is a great like slasher anime. But I found that was interesting. But I only found it, I found it announced in a couple of places. And I went to the Wayback Machine and I saw their website. And they were like, hey, we're doing a poster contest. But then it's just gone. Nowhere,
1: it's never been announced again, or just disappeared. I don't even know. Were someone... you saying there was an actual announcement for it, or was yeah. there was just some company saying they well, were doing well, it? Well, uh, Film
3: Threat put out a thing saying there's going to be a Halloween anime, and then the company themselves, you can go back in the way back machine and and mm-hmm. see that they announced it on their website, and they even announced like a contest, and then it just gone disappeared, like.
1: i I don't know
3: it would have been you know i don't know maybe that's just one of the many you know maybe they they realized they didn't have the rights to do it
2: yes that was one of there was several there was a handful a small handful of sequels lost sequels that we wanted to do chapters on and taking shape too and we just weren't able to dig up enough information about to justify giving it its own chapter and that was one of them i mean that was a legitimate thing you didn't you didn't imagine that from like uh or out of thin air um, it's it It was just so hard to track anyone involved with it down to find out why they thought they could do it and what made them realize they couldn't <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nah, good point um yeah, yeah i but- mean it almost reminds me because i i feel like we've found reporting on that they wanted to do an animated creep show three but i don't know how real that like ever was gonna be like Right, Steve? I don't think that ever had a script or anything.
3: I think I can think of, funny enough, I just stumbled upon they wanted to do Creepshow 1 in 3D, which I thought was a trip. I mean, but, I guess um,
1: the, the time it was coming out, that would have at yeah. least made sense.
3: But nothing on the Creepshow 3 animation now. Um, but let's see. Uh, we're into Halloween resurrection now. Uh, anything to lead us?
1: Yeah, the one that's the most like. And yet, as one thing, uh, I feel like the the internet has taught us all is there is no there is no movie so good that everyone likes it, and no movie so bad that everybody hates it. Because I personally know fans of the Buster Rhymes Halloween installment so so.
2: my opinions on Halloween Resurrection have changed a little since I've written these books because in writing Taking Shape One I interviewed Larry Brand who was the original screenwriter behind Halloween Resurrection and I actually interviewed him about three months before he passed away unexpectedly and um, I guess it makes me a little more forgiving of the movie because the movie that was released is not at all the movie he wanted to be made and like Halloween 6, there were a lot of changes thrust upon that movie that were not part of his original pitch. He had actually envisioned something fairly highbrow, um, inspired by Orson Welles. He had been a driver for Orson Welles in his younger days oh, wow. and like had had a brush with greatness that really affected him. And he had high plans for Halloween 8 that really devolved into Buster Rhymes karate chopping the shape in a burning room. <laughs> uh, and it, he, you know, so he he was willing to talk about the movie and take credit for the things he was proud of, but he was also the first one to admit that it's pretty much the worst Halloween, what, you know.
1: Was there in the original versions was Jamie Lee going to be in more of it because I know that was something that as someone who was happy to see her back in H2O even even though that is a classic horror movie sequel trope that you just immediately kill off the, the hero uh, mm-hmm. from the first previous installment what um, was she ever going to be in more though or was she always just killed off right away
2: well, well if you know if you ask everyone else involved with the movie they wanted her to be they really wanted her to come back at the end and be the one that busted in to save sarah not bust Rhymes. rhymes <laughs> um, But Jamie Lee Curtis staunchly refused to do anything other than kill off Laurie Strode. And Larry Brand also says that she was so generous in coming back um, that she donated her salary to charity, that she was really just there to wrap it up and not have any hope that Laurie Strode was going to come back. And so although they wanted her to come back, she refused. And that was also one of the only mandates that they got. You know, he had as the original screenwriter in writing the script. It was pretty much a blank slate. You just have to kill Laurie Strode in the first fifteen minutes. Hmm. That's so
3: crazy. It was. So, it's yeah. It's a hard. I I'm thinking about rewatching it this Halloween because I haven't seen it in
1: years. Oh, I. Whenever I go through my. <laughs> my big box at the cube i always watch it you do i an always eight? regret it
2: <laughs> marathon. you're gonna do all the part eights together
1: oh my oh. god that that might be uh, i don't know if you could sit through a part eight-a-thon yeah i forget which hellraiser is part eight his children of the corn got that far probably oh, yeah new
2: the new one is eight isn't it oh it is the new children of the corn or am i miscounting or
1: they're finally up to eight that's one of those franchises that I feel like every time I check back in, there's been like two I didn't care about coming out. I'm like, how is that possible? I'm paying so close attention. Oh my God. We're going to have to get in one that witchcraft, that whole franchise. Oh it's yeah, witchcraft.
3: like, which, like e. 20 Puppet of those. Puppet Master.
1: <laughs> Puppet Master, yeah. God. They yeah, started I'm... cheating though, because they were, they did those like kind of almost like best of TV episode style right. sequels.
2: But Halloween Resurrection, you know, there's there's no polishing Halloween Resurrection, really, except to see the seeds of what could have been. And um, it's, yeah, it's, boy, it's unfortunate. Who could say something good about it? Anyone got anything?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, I like Busta Rhymes in real life.
2: <laughs> Even though well, I did I feel it that way, so.
1: they were just kind of like, oh, everybody loved Cool J and H2O, who's another I mean, rapper we can get. It is a it is an interesting concept,
3: you know, because, you know, that was the same year of fear.com, you know, and everyone, <laughs> you know, kind of, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it in so long. I just remember it really upset me. But maybe, you know, that's the beautiful thing about cinema is like you could watch something and then years later you can go back and watch it. And like it, you know, which happened to me with a lot of the Halloween movies that I didn't like at first. You know, now I kind of, you know, I, I'm able to forgive them now that I understand what I'm getting back into, but verdict's out yet.
0: Well, <laughs> but, tasty.
1: uh,
3: but,
0: uh, for me,
1: that Seed of Chucky, which I now actually love. Oh, yeah, that movie I'm great. now a big Seed of Chucky fan.
3: Yes. <laughs> that's a great film, it's so that. So Halloween Resurrection comes out, makes 13, no, makes $30 million. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Right. That's well, because um, everyone
1: loved H2O. That's why they all saw yeah. it opening weekend. And then we're like, <laughs>
3: it was also a summer movie. It came out in July, which is pretty yeah.
2: Oh my
1: <laughs> God. I forgot about that.
2: It was a hot day. I remember going opening day to see that one. Wow. Oh, and then
1: why? <laughs> If ever, I mean, other than like the Santa Claus franchise, if ever there's a franchise that really telegraphs to you when you're supposed to release it, it's the Halloween (laughs) franchise.
2: That's a good
3: good point. Um, Well, probably because they want to get it on video by Halloween. I I don't know.
2: You know what's so funny with Halloween Resurrection about the Busta Rhymes character is Freddie Harris is the character. In the earlier scripts before Busta was cast, that wasn't some caricature character. That wasn't some silly, cartoony, ridiculous character. It was just like a P.T. Barnum kind of showman kind of dude that just wanted to hold a web contest. And when Buster Rhymes was cast in the role, it got rewritten a little bit and he was allowed to improvise some of his dialogue and it got silly. They tested the movie and all the test audiences came back and said, we want more Busta. (laughs) So they went back and did reshoots and they amped up his cartooniness big time. Suddenly with the reshoots, he comes in karate chopping Michael in the ending where that wasn't part of it previously. And also he's like this arrogant, non-apologetic, just like weirdo. But in the, even in the first cut where it's like Halloween, the homecoming, At the end of the movie, Busta Rhymes' character isn't like axe chopping Michael in the face. He's like apologizing to Sarah that his dumb stunt got all her friends killed. He's like an actual human being. And the test audiences were like, no, we want more Busta, like the (laughs) cool Busta. And so like it not only devolved on the script page, but after they made it, they reshot it and made it even dumber. And so what's crazy about that is that there was a period of time, and this is in taking shape too, where they thought the future of the franchise is Buster Rhymes. He's coming back for the next one.
1: Oh, wow. And
2: like is Anthony Massey, who uh, is- The new Laurie Stroh. <laughs> Anthony Massey, who was the webmaster of Halloweenmovies.com for a number of years. He's a, he's a big producer now in the Hollywood horror documentary era genre. But Anthony Massey, in his introduction to the book, talks about how he was at the Trankus offices one day and Buster Rhymes came by- to talk with the Akkad's about continuing, about coming back. And some of the scripts that we cover feature Freddie Harris, you know, some of them kill him off in the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't. (laughs) One of them um, actually continues and he's the main character for the whole movie. And so that's just, what's so funny to me is that even after Halloween resurrection came out, there was such a tone deafness to what they had gotten wrong that they really thought about, Let's continue on with Busta, and that almost became the next movie as well. And that's my TED Talk.: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that would have been interesting to
1: see, uh, given how little I liked the movie. I don't know that I would have been excited for it at the time, but yeah, just that, that would have been an, <laughs> a unique avenue to explore for the franchise.:
2: Here we go. It's Halloween H25. That was going to be the the one that brought Freddy back. And it was also going to bring back all the surviving legacy characters from all the other movies. So Tommy Doyle, um, the paramedics that were still alive from Halloween 2, Sheriff Brackett, um, all these guys. And then at the end of the movie, Michael was going to kill off all the surviving victims. And I remember Tommy Doyle had the worst death ever. Tommy Doyle deserves like a confrontation with Michael Myers. And the way they killed him off in that one was he's in a bathroom taking a piss at a urinal and Michael comes up behind him and just like shoves his face into the wall. He never even sees it coming. He's taking a piss. Like Poor Tommy, who hated Tommy Doyle that bad <laughs> that he killed him off that way.
3: Oh, is that the one where he, it was like a documentary and there was a yeah. screening of it?
2: That's right. So Freddie Harris thought the way to atone for his you know, the sin of, of the stunt that got everyone killed after resurrection was to make a documentary about Michael, clearly. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he, where, where should you premiere that? In Haddonfield, they'll love it. And he invites all these survivors to the premiere and they're all like, sure, I'd love to go revisit my trauma in a communal setting with a movie, why not? <laughs> and so they all show up to the premiere at the finale of this one, Halloween H25, and who also shows up to the premiere michael and
1: uh they could have seen that one coming (laughs) it's It's giving me some vibes out of you guys ever saw the uh town that dreaded sundown
2: mm -hmm. remake
1: did a little bit of the same that was where they remade the original in the movie i think they remake the movie and are screening it in tex arcana or maybe they're just showing the old movie Tex Texarkana. and then there's like a copycat killing. I don't quite remember, but it was super meta. Well, that sounds kind of cool. I mean I enjoyed it. Theory. Enough.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I did too. It was because it was very different and shocking. Yeah. They 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 that that's the type of thing we'd we'd cover on this show.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The weird <laughs> you know. idea they had that never moved forward. That one yeah. moved forward and got made. Um, And it's almost like a repeat of like
3: Halloween 4 is a success. And then the next one comes out and it's like, oh, and it's like H2O, this huge success. And then this comes out and you're like, that was
1: after the I feel like I first realized that once the Rob Zombie one flamed out and I was really thinking about it, looking at my Scream Factory cube, they should send me something free. I keep talking about (laughs) (laughs) their release but really looking at yeah i kind of i guess unless you count uh part six which i don't think you should because it's so many years later it really is like they had one success and then it crapped out immediately on the follow-up and i feel like this current franchise where now is the only time they've really successfully pushed through uh to the third movie
2: and it's also the only time that they've managed to keep a consistent creative team.
1: Yeah. And not that these new
2: guys are doing the most perfect work ever, because, you know, we can all criticize them for different reasons, but at least they're, they have a consistent vision. You know, it's not being handed off to someone else with their own ideas who's planting yeah. things that the next team can figure out.
1: They're not. They're not tossing in a, a cliffhanger ending and then being like, "We'll let the next team figure out what happens." I'm
2: gonna give the shape a tattoo that the next yeah. guy can figure out. <laughs> no, totally. Almost and sounds it, like
1: they were playing pranks on each other.
2: <laughs> but uh, have
1: fun but, with this, jackasses.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, what I was gonna say is that resurrection is an interesting time. It's 2002. And the next year, two thousand three, Freddie versus Jason comes out, makes eighty-two million dollars. And if you've read a previous, as we were saying from Dustin's previous book, you know they start making Jason versus Freddie in nineteen ninety-two. They try to make that, and ten years later, this finally comes out and and so also that same year the texas chainsaw massacre remake comes out 2003 and worldwide it makes 107 million dollars it's like and so it begins the the era of the remakes you know dawn of the dead comes out and makes over 100 million worldwide the following year and now while these remakes are are the new thing they're trying to figure out Halloween nine, which is done so well in your book. And shockingly to see how much <laughs> they keep trying to bring Buster rhymes back is just <laughs> mind blowing, but I, Buster's uh, the
1: future of this franchise. Yeah. Damn it.
3: <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and then, you know, I saw a couple of things just pop up here and there. I'm not, uh, there was like something, I guess there was one rumor in, in the mid 2000s, but I don't think it's true. It was like Takashi Miike. They tried to attach to one. Mm-hmm. And it, I think Fengori even announced that they had like the director of the Suicide Club attached to one. But I mean, at least. Oh, yeah. And then oh, you, I totally missed it earlier on in the early 90s. And this is in your book was the guy who made Cemetery Man. They offered him. a a shot at one of the halloweens which would have been kind of cool that would have been interesting yeah right after part five you know go from another foreign director that would have been interesting but um but all right so halloween nine they're trying to figure out he just told us all about like trying to put buster rhymes back in h25 which sounds so interesting bringing back all the survivors and then this is something i found riveting in your book was that uh, Dimension at this time was shooting all these made-for-video movies back-to-back, like Prophecy and Hellraiser and Dracula 2000. And, um, yeah, and they thought maybe they could, again, do a Halloween back-to-back. Is there anything you want to touch on that? I found that really
2: interesting. You know, what's, Rob Zombie, in defending his two movies uh, against criticism, has said that you know he thinks Halloween fans ought to be a little more appreciative because... He personally rescued Halloween from the direct-to-video bin, which is true. He absolutely did. Um, Dimension Films, as just a business practice, constantly had scripts in development at any given time that they could pull the trigger on when they wanted. And one of those was uh, the back-to-back Halloween sequels. And, you know, they at different times just like it would have been just like the prophecy sequels it would have been just like the hellraiser sequels it would have been just like the um, dark
1: man two and three i think that's how they did that
2: well unlike dark man two and three they were wanting dimension was wanting to shoot the halloween direct video sequels in bulgaria
1: oh <laughs> or
2: romania and malik akkad is the one we had to thank for shutting that down because he just didn't think you can replicate Small Americans, town America.
1: Early, uh, Halloween, yeah.
2: you know, no matter how many pumpkins you take over there, it's not going to look the same. Yeah. And he really put his foot down and managed to kill those in the womb. But that's, yeah, Dimension um, absolutely had plans for back-to-back uh, Halloween movies that would have been direct-to-video and you know, the st- the screenwriters themselves, you know, they don't control the budget, obviously, or whether it goes direct to video or theatrical. And some of the back to back stories were kind of interesting. They tried to steer the franchise back towards its roots. It involved the son of Dr. Loomis. You know, decent efforts, but for a pretty hard task, I think. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's the, I mean, I think it's good for all of us that it didn't go straight to video. But as I was saying, Previously on the, the topic, the thing I like about the straight to video phase of franchises is that they do they either get really, really crazy or sometimes they actually, as you're saying, kind of go back to basics because there's less eyes on them. And the people doing them, if they happen to care, almost have more freedom than they might have, you know, they're, they're maybe spared the kind of like Harvey Weinstein, like, oh, VR is a hit right now. You yeah. gotta put VR in this Michael Myers movie. It's more they're just like, yeah, make some movies, whatever. Let us know when they're done. Don't go over budget. Like yeah. those Amityville straight to video movies are are pretty fun, but oh yeah. I have that whole box set from I think Vinegar Syndrome that's like uh oh it's great. All about the yeah. haunted objects, about right. like, the, the trilogy, the clock, of the objects. yeah. They're
3: fun, but I think back then when they were coming out, they weren't as interesting as they are now looking back on them
2: and how you know yeah there's no way those amityville movies didn't begin with one drunk executive saying to another <laughs> i bet you bet you, you can't make a movie about a, a scary lamp
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck you i totally can you're on oh man
3: and then uh, so now i mean we're kind of mid-2000s remakes are still coming out amityville horror Made a, a, over a hundred million dollars worldwide in two thousand five, and then there's Halloween Asylum in two thousand
1: five. Wait, the anim-
3: Amityville remake oh, made that much money worldwide? Made a okay, hundred, made a hundred and seven million worldwide. Um, I'm taking worldwide numbers here now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but everyone it,
1: just wanted to see Ryan Reynolds with a beard,
3: right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, yeah, it's shockingly how successful that was. But then there's yeah, like a holo- the Halloween Asylum script, which is kind of fascinating in 2005. And then so I wanted to bring it up because it's something that comes back again and again, which is pretty wild.
2: Yeah, so I you see me keep having to reference my own book. I don't blame um, it's a long book. There's, there's <laughs> three different chapters on three different Halloween asylums by three different writers. And so that gets confusing real fast.
3: Yeah, and this two thousand and five one was the one that I think Fangoria at one time had attached to the Suicide Club director. But um, okay, I have to I have to double check that though. But it's anyway, two
2: thousand five. Um, it opens with Michael murdering Freddie Harris from Resurrection, kind of wipe washing his hands of that, and then he's caught and found guilty of murder and sentenced to the electric chair. And did you ever see Ernest goes to jail?
1: Of course.
2: Okay, so at the end of the movie, he gets electrocuted and he gets powers where he's like shooting electricity from his fingertips. That's what happens to Michael. The electric chair doesn't kill him. It gives him superpowers. I'm not kidding. Um that was Halloween Asylum 2005, which You pew. pew. You got your super shake. <laughs> pretty rad.
3: Uh yeah, would 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 people like that? And then uh, yeah so two and then 2005 like i said Amityville horror remake but then that's when i guess it starts to finally they start realizing like yo maybe we should remake halloween you know and then in 2006 rob zombies attached when i fr- in and um again remakes are going strong when a stranger calls made 67 million hills have eyes made 70 million you know they're you know and rob now. An time-
2: At the time of like 2006, 2007, Rob Zombie, I don't think was ever like bigger as a filmmaker because he was just coming off the success of Devil's Rejects. And so it kind of seemed like he could have picked any project he wanted and he would have gotten it. You know, now I think he's, you know, people have put him more in a box that this is his little niche of the genre. But coming off of Devil's Rejects, I mean, what a great what a great thing to have right behind you. Yeah, because I mean, I'll say this. I need to rewatch his first Halloween. I only saw
3: it once in the theaters. I, I wasn't the biggest fan of, of his Halloween, but I love Halloween too, because it feels like that's the one he wanted to really, he wasn't held down by any anything. And he really made, I love that movie. And yeah. I, you know, yeah, that that's, I think is his Halloween movie, but I think he was just kind of held down with yeah. just copying the first one well, a like, little bit with that
1: daniel waters you know wrote heathers but also wrote batman returns mm-hmm. uh he has a uh a famous quote that i i'm paraphrasing but then when he was working on that the tim burton had told him kind of like day one he's like if the first batman was a batman movie directed by tim burton i want this one to be a tim burton movie that just happens to have batman in it and i think <laughs> that was that was the halloween two we got uh, yeah. Is that Rob Zombie just made a Rob Zombie movie where Michael Myers has got like a beard and he's taking his mask off half of the time? You know,
2: what I love about Rob Zombie is that, like John Carpenter, Rob Zombie is a smart guy who's not afraid to criticize his own work. And so, like, when John Carpenter says that Halloween 2 had a shit script. He's being honest because it kind of did. I mean, he's that's his own script. He's criticizing Rob Zombie can also look at his first Halloween and say, "Look, it's tonally all over the place. It's two movies mashed into one. The final product is really not the best, not what I was hoping for." But Halloween two is unrestrained. His Halloween two is unrestrained, dark, just wonderfulness. I love it. It's so, but it's not Halloween as people think yeah, of it. Yeah, that's where it gets the hate.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm happy to see more and more people are are coming around to it, you know, because it was hated when it first came out, you know. And what's and, so
2: funny about Halloween, too, is while they were still shooting it in Georgia, Bob Weinstein was meeting uh, with writers to write a sequel to it. They already knew they weren't even going to invite Rob Zombie back. He was wow. on set filming, and Bob Weinstein was taking meetings with Todd Farmer and Patrick Lucier about um, doing Halloween 3D. Yeah, let's get to that in a
3: second. Yeah, so what I found f- interesting was Halloween comes out. His remake and made a lot, made fifty-eight million dollars. Came out in late August, and then in two thousand eight June, they kind of announced the, the two filmmakers that uh, made Inside. And just made that movie The Deep House, which I loved. They were gonna do Halloween two. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden Rob Zombie came back into the picture because the inside guys were gonna do Hellraiser and it didn't work out. And then Rob Zombie returns, does Halloween two. Halloween two comes out and makes 33 million. And um, I, I you know what I when I I didn't see it in the theaters and I regret it because when I rented yeah, it, I really, I really liked it. And I, I was like, shocked
1: because I did not like. The first one. Yeah.
3: yeah and I'm, I'm really mad at myself. I didn't see that. in the. Th- I, I shouldn't have listened to everyone,
1: you know, uh, but here,
3: but here's the thing about Halloween. It beat Friday the 13th, and nightmare in Elm street as a remake to the theaters, you know, cause we're, we're talking about the whole time. Like Halloween's competing with these slashers. Yeah. And, it's, oh, wait. and all of a sudden now Halloween comes out in 2007 and then Friday the 13th remake comes out the same year as Halloween too. And Nightmare on Elm Street comes out a year later in 2010, you know, so it actually and the Friday the 13th sequel, Josh and I did an episode on Friday the 13th 3D David Bruckner was going to make. And I think Josh and I agreed. It's like one of our favorite unmade horror scripts that like, damn, we missed out on a fucking good movie there. You know, really did. Um, There's no there's been no sequels to Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. And now Halloween is the one. Franchise since the remake has just been going kind of strong, but anyway, Halloween 3D, yeah. So I was gonna say
1: we we recorded an episode uh, a couple years ago with Todd Farmer talking about Halloween 3D, so we can touch on it. But I was just gonna say if people want more Mm -hmm. in depth info, they should go back and listen to right from the horse's mouth.
2: Todd Farmer, I I just think he's such a brilliant horror writer. I love so much he's done including Jason X. I'm I'm in love with it.
1: Well that, like that was going to have some crazy stuff in it too the whole like a big giant jack-o-lantern that like the town square in the town square that was going to be on fire and they're fighting in the end. Right, that was that one, right?
2: Right. Well, man, and his Halloween 3D was really going to be like a women's prison movie because Laurie Strode was incarcerated at this maximum security kind of like jail kind of like psychiatric hospital. And uh, the, all the women, all the female inmates slash patients have to kind of make makeshift weapons and band together once Michael infiltrates that. It would have, I think it was
3: a pretty interesting take on it. I do, too. I, I think we missed out on that one a lot because when you see their my bloody valentine 3d they oh, yeah. knew how to use 3d in a slasher movie mm-hmm. like they were going back to the old school friday 13 part 3 where like bot limbs were flying at you it was <laughs> fun right. and i i can't imagine what they would have done with fright though no, i know when you read the script it's it tells you and it's it's great and i think that's another one where we could have totally had that movie and still had these new Blumhouse remakes because there was enough time. Like I think we really missed out on them pulling the trigger on that one.
2: And that's the other thing, like the Halloween 6 that I talked about earlier, they got so far along with Halloween 3D. It was being cast. They were scouting locations. I mean, the effects uh, were that Wayne Toth, I think, was starting to build the effects. Like it was real. Tom Atkins was cast in it back from Halloween 3. I mean, it was really far along to have been canceled when it was. And it's a real shame because it would have been Probably a pretty interesting take.
3: Yeah, because they're also like they're continuing off of Rob Zombie's movie and then halfway through it, they're now doing their own movie with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like it was like such a tribute to him and then take and then the batons and they took it into their direction. You know,
2: the other great Halloween three that I I like even more so uh, was from Steph Hutchinson, who wrote. Uh, some of the greatest Halloween comics if you read any of those he also um, did Halloween 25 Years of Terror the documentary from a while back Steph Hutchinson wrote an alternate Halloween 3 to Rob Zombie's films that would have focused on Brad Dourif's Sheriff Brackett and it was really a wrenching dark uh, grief movie revenge movie and it was uh, it was just Michael fucking with bracket the whole time it was it was really great I, I wish i wish that would have been made i mean it was yeah
3: well there's there's one in your book too There's like 3.0 where it kind of redoes the original in a way so it kind of reminded me of like what terminator genesis did where they recasted all the people and brought them back it, it mm-hmm. kind of
2: I forgot about that one. God, there's so many. I know, dude. <laughs> Trust me. Like, I was actually going to ask, do you know,
1: like, do you have a, the number in your head of how many films are featured in Taking Shape 2?
2: So uh, there's 24 chapters, each one focusing on a different lost okay. scene. Okay. And there were some, like the one you mentioned, the, the filmmakers um, that were going to come on for Halloween 2, uh, but then didn't, um, that were going to do Hellraiser. We wanted to do a chapter on their version, but we weren't able to, to get in touch with not only them, but we weren't able to track down their screenplay. I mean, there's there's not only 24 lost sequels, there's way more. Yeah. These are the ones we were able to cover in a substantive way.
3: Yeah, because you, you did a great interview with a guy from Dimension, and he was saying that there were so many, like, you know, there's like a found footage, there's one like the movie Hellfest, where it took place in an amusement park. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's like, there was so, there's so, there, there, like, yeah, there is so many. And the fact that you got your hands on as many as you did is remarkable. Like, the, like, the book is in, like, you're, like, dude, nothing but props. <laughs> like, it's, it's really amazing what you did with these books. Like, well, it's you, nice you, to you,
1: know that, yeah, uh, our podcast could last for 20 more years and we can continue <laughs> doing. A Halloween movie every October, so. S- actually, there's,
2: there's so many lost sequels left over that Travis and I have, you know, we've only briefly discussed, like, we can't do an updated version of Taking Shape. We can't expand on Taking Shape 2 because it's it's 600 pages. You know, no one wants a 700-page book. That's too much. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's so many lost sequels left to cover who knows? You know, there could even be a, another one one day because it's just, there's a lot. Well, I, I mean, love,
1: I should say, when I, I I was messaging with Dustin leading up to the recording, and you know, we've done shows with authors before, and you know, you always, authors don't want the book totally spoiled so people don't feel like they need to buy it anymore. And I was bringing that up to Dustin. He's like, the book's 600 pages. I, I feel pretty confident yeah, <laughs> we're is. not going to be able to go into enough detail that, uh, Yeah. People won't need to read the book to learn more.
2: No, their audio book is 21 hours long. Wow. Um, It's like um, the stand. Yeah. (laughs) Encycle Apocalypse Publications sent it to me to listen to. And they were like, what'd you think? And I'm like, I listened to 10 minutes. That was it. (laughs) Because really can't give that much to my life to this anymore.
3: (laughs) Well, I I have dyslexia, so I have a hard time reading. I had to buy the audio book. And it was something that I walk my dog twice a day. And it was like Nice pleasant to listen to and i'll pull out my notes and write a little note because like i gotta ask him about this guy that's good so that you know it's like you know i would have loved to have read the book but i have i'm challenged that way but it was a nice thing to listen to when i'm out walking my dog i love it you know it was like something i actually was looking forward to it was like oh i get to listen again i'm gonna get you know i get to take them out and like you know because yeah there is a lot we did not touch on that's in your book, like even more. Oh, yeah, we even got, a yeah, we also, a lot.
1: in a previous year, we <laughs> had a, a Dunstan and Melton on to talk about. they mm. almost, I mean, I assume that's in your book as well.
2: Yeah, those guys are terrific. I'm a big fan of their work. And, and that's another one where, you know, I, I'm critical of some of these sequels and I'm joking and laughing, but honestly, I think there are good ideas contained within every one. And I mm. thought their approach, kind of like it was a soft reboot a little bit, was so thoughtful and uh and intelligent in in looking back at the shape and his time at the asylum um yeah i mean in, in a perfect world we could just have an anthology series where every entry was michael myers but in a completely new <laughs> novel, you know like that would i would love that
1: i should also say for those uh interested who haven't listened to our uh, that that series of episodes with Dunstan and Melton. When we get to the, their Halloween movie, Dunstan starts cuing, um <laughs> Halloween music in the background while he pitches out versions of their scenes. Oh, it's pretty special. Oh, That's yeah, awesome. that
3: was that, that was that was great. And then another thing I loved about your book was like each director or each writer would just say the same thing, which was we're going to take it back to the original and then Going you get the to mo- basics we're gonna take it back to the original right. and then you get you still get the movie but it's not their fault of course because you know you have your they're yep. fighting there's dimension versus a card but it was like always the same thing Like everybody's like you know we're gonna do that again because that movie was so special and you know because you start realizing too like when halloween came out it's just it's not a gory movie but then it's just like friday the 13th comes out and throws down the gauntlet and now all of a sudden you know, as you know, the, the Halloween ends is like not Halloween ends. What, wait, what's the middle one? Halloween kills, kills. is yeah. so brutal, right. you know, and it's like, holy shit, you know.
2: But what I hope comes across in the book that people may not realize um beforehand is how much of an important role the Akkad family has played in running quality control for the series. And some fans may be like, bullshit because. Some of the movies we've gotten, they haven't been fans of, but if, if they could see some of the ideas that were tossed around, um, they'd realize that that's really the difference between Halloween and Hellraiser, or Halloween and any other direct-to-video franchise that Dimension just churns out like product, is that the Akkad's, you know, even uh, Malick these days, he's not um, creatively like, steering the franchise saying, this needs to be the story and I'm gonna write it and all that. But they have kind of a. They have their finger on the pulse of the franchise and they definitely know what's not a good fit. You know, they know the fans, they know the source material, and they've kept a lot of really, really terrible things from coming to fruition.
1: I mean, just something I hadn't really thought about that much before uh, this discussion today, uh, and I am appreciating more, is how crazy it is that they kept it off straight to video, that they are all. It's an entirely theatrical franchise with for how many installments they've had and like how kind of unpopular it had gotten at times is pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, it really is. Mm
1: -hmm. And it's yeah, it's wild, too, because, again, I was thinking
3: you don't realize like Halloween two comes out. It sets up the bloodline and like throughout the throughout all these scripts, you know, they're trying to give the Meyer family, different relatives for Michael Myers to go after, you know, <laughs> they always seems to be, it's almost like the that extra thing in Halloween Two, John Carpenter created with, with uh, the sibling, you know, and then later on we'll see with the thorn curse was just these two elements that kind of started weighing down a lot of these scripts. It was like, they just, you know, they just couldn't do like what Jason does or what, I mean, I guess Freddie in a way they would continue characters into each one, but they, they kind of did it smoothly and they were, they were, they were cranking them out, but it seems like Halloween, they were always trying and trying. It wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't the machine that Friday the 13th or nightmare on Elm street was, they were always trying like these has to be bloodline or it has to be the thorn curse that was always weighing them down. And that's why there's so many of these. It's like, it's insane of how many drafts there are and how many different characters, like you said, like, the loomit you know they gave loomis a son or they gave another relative like i think there was a reporter in in one of them that was
2: related (laughs) you know it's just crazy like and so that's the problem halloween the boogeyman michael myers the shape when you start adding things on top of that basic mythology you start kind of ruining what was so good about it. And so Mm -hmm. even though we can all like the movies that had the sibling connection with Laurie, that starts to really complicate the story and paints it into a corner where the movies can't be good anymore in the same way that they used to be keeping him as that fresh boogeyman. I think a lot of people would agree. That's how you keep the franchise pure. And you know, I've got to, the new movies, I've got to, I've got to give them props for not, you know, coming up with something crazy like a cult or, a <laughs> or well, something worse.
3: No, I I give them that. Like I just, I recently, uh, I was away on a shoot and Jim Coons my DP, just like we were trying to find something to watch and he just, he threw on a movie I'd never seen called terrifier and it kind of, I really liked it. And the thing was that I liked about it was, it was just these two girls are walking down the street and so in this, this killer this clown just happens to see them in the like in the first not even five minutes and then he's locked onto them and that's still, no explanations nothing and it's just right. like the sequel's going to come out i don't know what's going to happen but it was just like something as freaky as that that just makes you like damn wrong place wrong time and it's almost like hot ha- the first halloween in a way mm-hmm. you know where it's just like he just latched onto them, you know, and it was just like, ah, I'm just going after you. There was no other, and it was something really terrifying about
1: that. And now, in what part two, one of them will have been his sister, and yeah, whole gonna, and everything. Uh, by the time this know, podcast
3: comes out, that the sequel the director's gonna, be, uh, is gonna draw a symbol yeah. <laughs> on the
1: actor's arm with Sharpie, <laughs> yeah. and they'll have to explain that in part three, exactly. falling into all the old traps.
3: Uh, but, uh, well, oh. oh to- Yeah, Is there there one version that you wish we would have got when you were doing this whole book? Like, oh, this is the one that kills me. Like, this is the one I think would have changed it. You know, is there one for you?
2: Um, Yeah, so it's actually a trilogy. I mentioned Steph Hutchinson earlier, who had written the Halloween comics. Um, Steph wrote a a reboot trilogy that is really bonkers. It's psychological and supernatural and really ties into that Halloween. There's that speech in Halloween 3 that Connell Cochran gives about how on All Hallows' Eve, the border, the, the, the dimensional separating wall is down between the world of the living and the dead. S- Steph's reboot trilogy, which we cover in the book, really ties into that. And in the third installment, we get into the Halloween multiverse where Dr. Loomis crosses through that border and he sees like different Halloweens where, oh, there's Halloween four Michael Myers, there's Halloween six Michael Myers, there's Rob Zombie's Michael Myers. And it's like, it sounds horrible as I say it out loud, but when you hear the idea through the visionary lens of Steph's storytelling, as he describes it in the book, it's really interesting and ballsy to take the franchise there. Um, it's it's yeah so that that if if you check out the book check out the reboot trilogy chapters because those were really interesting to me
1: yeah
3: multiverses are in now
2: (laughs) this was before they were cool this was you know years ago before the uh you know now multiverse is like a common part of the pop culture lexicon but when he wrote those scripts it was still pretty unique
1: it is weird to me that normal pr- people know the word multiverse
2: now. <laughs> like
1: there couldn't have been a dorkier kind of comic book concept,
2: right? Now normies mind. know about it. It's terrible. Yeah,
1: lame. <laughs> I liked multiverses before they were cool. <laughs> right. Uh, how about you, Steve? What's uh? What's your standout? Almost was. Oh, I don't. It's so overwhelming.
3: Like how how many. I yeah I, mean, I, for, I i i can't I, I don't know if i can really pin one down because like i was it's so much at the at, i don't know at this moment i can't really think what about you
1: josh Maybe i mean I'll... for me it's more and there's so many different possibilities with four it's, it's it's more the almost was idea if john carpenter had kind of stayed with it rather than kind of i think kind of the last straw for him on part four just being like you know what Never mind, buy me out, or you know how whatever the backstory was there. Um, I, I that was maybe over the Etchinson script, if I is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, I mean that I don't know if that was the idea, but if he had just kind of stuck with it for more films in any capacity, it, it would have been interesting to see how it would have done, even if he was only ever so slightly helping. You know, guide the boat uh, down the river, especially because he was making such cool stuff at the time. With mm-hmm. everything else, like I still feel like that was that was during the prime Carpenter phase of his career. We're just we we're getting like all bangers throughout the eighties. You know, I have point.
2: a theory on his uh, Halloween four script with Dennis. You know, he didn't co write it, yeah. but he gave notes on it, and he definitely guided it, and he he went through three drafts of it with Dennis Etchison. I don't think he was necessarily trying to tank the franchise with that version of Halloween 4, but I think he was trying to very intentionally buck what everyone was expecting. Yeah, And that's what I think Akkad probably found objectionable, that now the shape is a ghost, kind of, and Mm -hmm. he's tall, kind of, and bullets make him stronger, kind of. (laughs) And, you know, it would have probably been extremely atmospheric and fun, but, you know, like Halloween 3, you know, John Carpenter was trying to do what he wanted to do, not necessarily what everyone wanted, you know, the simple the simple mm-hmm. that wanted. That makes sense. Yeah, because he was on fire back then and whatever, you know,
3: because Halloween 3 was good. I mean, it just was just at the time we just, you know it's not his fault we just didn't under you know it was marketing and all this stuff we didn't understand but
2: yeah what what would that have led to and the other he thing i pander he doesn't pander to the audience yeah. you know, he's he's a master of horror it's, he's gonna do his own thing and because
3: the other thing is it's like in an alternative universe um like in because according to your book again in the early 90s when the rights went up it was between it was dimension was going after it and new line cinema was going after it. Right. What if, what if new line cinema would have got the rights to Halloween back then? I mean, well,
2: go. Sorry. Yeah, that ties into what you were just saying about John Carpenter because that's who was on new Line's side was John Carpenter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There, there you go. It was kind of a restaging of the battle again, you know, Carpenter versus a cod and dimension one out i mean that what a what if that would have been would yeah. you want to take care of the franchise or would they have dumped it i mean who knows no they they would
3: i mean they had friday the 13th they had nightmare in elm street you know and they were put try,
1: i don't know yeah i guess we don't know <laughs> we'll never know multiverse we could have got <laughs> tommy doyle and tommy jarvis could have finally met
3: yeah that would have
1: you know when i read that in your book i was like
3: damn what would have happened Newline New and Dimension, they both submitted
2: sealed bids for the property. And that's the most frustrating part because I'm dying to know what did Dimension pay and what did Newline, how did they get outbid? What did they not go high enough to? I mean, what's it, what was it worth to them? How much do they see it as being valuable for at the time? I'm just it's so fascinating. Knowing
1: the Weinsteins, their sealed bid was probably just like a threat aimed directly at one of the executives, <laughs> compromising photos of him. <laughs>
3: oh man. Yeah, but I guess to answer your question, I I would because I I you know I already gave it so much high praise. I would have wanted the uh, the Halloween 3D just because I I I was kind of blown away by I love the the I I just I don't know I loved everything that he was telling us during that interview and from what I read in that script. I think that's the one I would wish. How we would do you think had. Rob
2: Zombie would have responded to that?
3: Uh, I'm not sure because at least it was respecting what he did, you know. And also it was like a nice handoff to keep it going. I think they were being really respective of him. That was the thing they had. It was all respect towards him. And I think that's what was so nice about it. Also, they were doing their own thing and they were also giving his first half a tribute to finish off his story.
1: And then they were taking it into their own direction. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have been interesting. I'm sure a lot of people would not have liked it, um, understandably, but that would have been like the most fun michael myers movie like i feel like h2o is kind of like the closest we got because it was following the kevin williamson sort of vibe that was like the closest we got to kind of like a a big fun michael myers movie um which i i think a lot of the people who don't like it is what they don't like about it because halloween's serious <laughs> um but uh, you know a, a farmer uh um Oh, my God. I'm brain farting all sorts of my post-COVID brain. Wait, what was Farmer's partner's name? They did oh, Patrick Lucier. Yes. Uh, you know, just their their vibe, I uh, you know, applied to a Michael Myers movie. The fact that the franchise has gone on so far and clearly nothing has killed it. To me, that almost makes you just like, I wish we'd had even more crazy swings stylistically mm-hmm. that just, you know, like the James Bond movies, whatever, you know, you don't like the silly Roger Moore movies. Who cares? Those are in the past. <laughs> the franchise is still going strong. Um, I would have loved just like one real fun
2: 3D Michael Myers movie with to Tom make. Atkins back. Yes, oh, my yeah. God, what a missed opportunity!
3: A great death scene too with him and his head in the fish tank. And yeah, it was.
1: <laughs> oh, the fish tank decapitation! I forgot about that. That would have been a good one
3: yeah and i mean I and i guess that's one thing too i mean at least they were trying to always take chances with all these different scripts and everything you know it was always you know i mean i guess in a way again the fright. i mean halloween six we got is again might have been another pro- product we would have discussed on the show like this is crazy there's a cult and this is magic. Dice wherever you had at the ending. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it was just
2: insane. I really can't think of any script that we covered or didn't cover that I would say, oh, that was the safe sequel to do at the time. That was the safe, no-risk approach. Because it seems like every last sequel had huge balls. They're all insane ideas for the new most part. I mean, there was one set in the snow, like Halloween was canceled because it snowed. Like
1: what? oh my God. Coming from Minnesota, that would have I love that. At home for me. It's- it's nothing quite like a snowy Halloween
2: with a finale on a frozen lake with John Tate mm. fighting the shape with an ax. Like what? Uh, that sounds,
3: yeah, that's damn, <laughs> that sounds pretty great.
1: <laughs> oh man. Well, well, maybe that's a good place to wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, man. Thank you so much to Dustin McNeil. Um, where can people find you on social media?
2: You know, I'm on, uh, I'm on, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, Harker Press. You can find me with my name or through Harker Press, at HarkerPress.com. That's my indie label. And uh, all the books are on Amazon.
1: Because I was going to say, is that your preferred? I mean, some people I know don't want their books bought on Amazon if they're available elsewhere, but.
2: Yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. Or <laughs> on Amazon or wherever you can find them.
1: Yeah. Uh, And you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at NeverMadeFilm and Instagram at Best Movies Never Made. We also recommend that you get the Electric Now app so you can watch video of our podcasts and all the podcasts here on the Electric Surge Network. We'd like to thank Bill Ritter and our producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and...
3: Steven Scarlata.
1: ...saying we won't see you at the movies.